Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. The official launch of the new Floating Storage Regasification Unit, or FSRU, at Alexandrupoli is taking place on Tuesday this week. This marks an important milestone not only for Greece's role as a regional energy hub, but also for the Balkans. Dr. Theodor Tsakiris joins me to discuss the significance of the new FSRU in Alexandrupoli for Greece and the region. Dr. Tsakiris is an associate professor for geopolitics and energy policy at the University of Nicosia and a member of the board of directors of DESVA, the Greek Natural Gas Transmission System Operator. Dr. Tsakiris, welcome on to the Greek Current Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. The timing of this launch couldn't be more important given the energy challenges facing Europe. What can you tell us, given your experience working on this project, about the efforts to get the new Alexandrupoli FSRU up and running? Well, first of all, thank you very much again, and Christos Anesti to everyone. I just wanted to clarify that my involvement in the project has been as a part of the collective analysis, assessment, and eventual decision of the board of directors of VESFA to join the project with a 20% share. This was decided about a year ago. VESFA is the Greek national transmission system for natural gas, who has a responsibility of upgrading, controlling, and making sure the entire natural gas system of Greece is operating smoothly. The caveat is that I'm going to be expressing my own opinion in this, not presenting DESFA's opinion on this matter anyway. But what I can tell you is that the strategic rationale, as well as the commercial rationale for supporting such projects, was strong even before the second Ukrainian invasion of President Putin. And the strategic rationale behind it is now unquestionably proven, which is basically trying to find new sources of diversified supply through new routes of diversified supply that would be able to offer to countries which are essentially landlocked because you don't get any LNG through the Bosporus Straits to the countries of the Eastern Balkan. You can get some gas across the Adriatic Sea to the countries of the Western Balkans, but even that is really limited. So the FSRU in Alexandropolis opens up a second strategic gateway, a second very large regasification LNG import facility like the one we have in Athens. It's almost of the same regasification capacity of 5.5 billion cubic meters, which opens up really a new gate of diversification for countries that have been accustomed to be dependent on only one supplier through one route. And that supplier is Russia, and that route is basically the Turk stream. So this new launching of such a strategic infrastructure that would be hopefully commissioned by the end of 2023 at the latest by early 2024 is one of the steps to try to offer genuine, politically risk-free diversification of import sources and routes to the countries that mostly need it, because these countries I've just mentioned, including Bulgaria, are among the most vulnerable to the cessation and the political manipulation of gas exports, which are basically a part and parcel of Russia's geoeconomic arsenal for over 30 years. It's not something which is new. Some Europeans have just found out about it. They've woken up as a result of the war. But the reality of the matter is, if you look at the history, we've had ample opportunities of awakening in Europe that all were missed. We sleepwalked into an over-dependence on Russian gas. And now we're trying to wake up from this nightmare situation and trying to find, some would say haphazardly, instant diversification, which is something that unfortunately exists only with instant coffee, not with energy security. The prime ministers of Bulgaria and North Macedonia and the president of Serbia will also be in attendance in Alexandrupoli at the official launch of the new FSRU. Does this highlight its importance for the Balkans? Definitely. It is a regional project. There's another Greek company which is participating in that, Vepa Commercial, 
which is a Greek natural gas company, as well as two of the original shareholders. A company partnered with the Kapelouzos Group, which is going to use the gas to build the new gas-fired electricity generation plant in Alexandropolis, as well as GasLog, which is basically a shipping company. But the fifth partner is Bulgar Gas itself, which is a national gas company of Bulgaria. And in addition to that, the presence of the Serbian president and the North Macedonian prime minister are very important because these countries have booked or are in the process of booking capacity for natural gas regasification volumes in Alexandropolis. And this is exactly what makes this project regional, because actually out of the 5.5 billion cubic meters, a significant portion that has already been earmarked, reserved through ARCAS. ARCAS are advanced reservation capacity agreements for about a decade and more than a decade. I think that now the real change in terms of the conditions of energy insecurity in the region as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine would provide additional demand that would mean that the financial help and long-term viability of that particular facility project is going to be guaranteed to the extent, actually, that within the context of the Repower EU project, which is a project for the as rapid as possible diversification of gas sources away from Russia, which still we're expecting to see what kind of financial envelope is going to be part of this Repower EU strategy, there are significant plans being drafted right now for a second FSRU and a second IGB pipeline, which is the route through which the diversification of supplies, both from Alexandropoulos as well as from the Transadiatic pipeline, will be going to Bulgaria and beyond Bulgaria to North Macedonia, to Serbia, to Romania. And if the volumes increase significantly, even further to the north, depending on what available infrastructure may be needed further down the road. So definitely it is a significant game changer. It's part of the changing infrastructure in the region. But I have to stress that this is a process. It's not something which could happen instantaneously. It's a matter not of months, but it's a matter of years. It will eventually happen, and it has to happen. But it will take some time, and it needs to involve a significant financial support, coordination, and even post-war cohesion after the guns have become silent in Ukraine, everybody will need to remain focused on the target, which is a target of energy security and eventually energy independence. Dr. Sakiris, how significant of a milestone is this when we look at the broader energy strategy that Greece has pursued over the years? Well, for Greece, it's a second gateway for additional supplies in the north of Greece, which is already the epicenter of what we would call the Greek hub for southeastern Europe because it is through northern Greece you have basically the Trans-Adriatic Pipeline, which crosses from Turkey to Albania to Italy, and the expansion of TAP, depending what kind of availability of gas you could have from uh, Azerbaijan, but as well as from the Alexandrupolis FSRU, because that's a second potential point of entry to TAP to get the gas to Bulgaria, but also to get traditional gas volumes to Italy if Azerbaijan doesn't have enough gas to commit as quickly as the gas is needed to Southeast European markets and to even in the Italian market, is very significant in terms of adding a significant infrastructure for diversification of import sources and routes. Another infrastructure of that strategic significance, apart from TAP and the FSR Unix and Rupolis, are two smaller capacity compared to TAP pipelines, which are nevertheless the venues through which the LNG, after it's regasified, could be exported to meet directly the needs of the countries which are adjacent to Greece and are in more dire need of diversification. The one would be the IGB pipeline, 
the interconnector Greece-Bulgaria, which will be commissioned hopefully by the end of June, beginning of July. That would be the best way of getting additional gas volumes to Bulgaria and beyond through the Bulgarian system by filling up capacity in the Alexandropolis FSRU. And the second one is a smaller pipeline in terms of capacity of 1.5 billion cubic meters, which could finish within 2024, a few months after the FSRU in Alexandropolis is commissioned. This is an interconnector between Greece and North Macedonia, where the IGA, the governmental agreement, was signed in July of 2021, and then the commercial agreement was signed in September 2021. So we're hopeful that this is also a major priority for DESFA. DESFA is the promoter of the interconnection between North Macedonia and Greece. And IGI Poseidon, which is a consortium between VEPA and Italian French company Edison, as well as with Bulgar Gas, these are the owners of the IGB interconnector. And both of these infrastructures, if the need arises and demand has to be met, with additional supplies that could be expanded even more. So that would create a regional infrastructure which would be capable of really revolutionizing the supply patterns into southeastern Europe and the entire region from Hungary to Ukraine and from Italy to Bulgaria, including Greek demand for natural gas, which is expected to increase because of our delegitization program in terms of electricity that is going to continue to be evolving over this decade at least. So the regional demand is quite substantial. To that, somebody would have to add the gas that has to be substituted from Russia. So these four major infrastructural projects, which are all expandable and scalable, good to meet a significant portion of that demand by allowing the region to significantly diversify away from Russian over-dependence, regardless of what would be the eventual situation in Ukraine. I think the lesson has been learned, and now we have to find the medium-term solution to take this lesson home and, you know, secure the energy supply of all the region with a transit linchpin on northern Greece. Of course, in addition to that, LNG cannot do it itself, so we need to have additional significant infrastructure from the general region. The invasion of Ukraine is obviously accelerating EU efforts to break away from Russian energy, but as we have increasingly seen, Europe remains divided on how to achieve this goal. Despite these differences, the European Commission is set to propose a complete phase-out of Russian oil by the end of the year. Are these goals attainable? They are attainable, but my question mark is whether they're attainable within the short-term period you've just mentioned, or some other European commissioners or political figures in the EU bureaucracy have been mentioning. There is no instantaneous diversification. It takes time. It takes years for gas. Now, oil is a different question, but again, that has to be structured in a way that does not create a havoc in international markets. International markets, as you very well know, are very fungible and they're very flexible. But when you take out oil, and this is what you do by a boycott, you need to be able to put it back from a different source so that an imbalance between supply and demand will not create price spikes. We are in a very, very, very perilous situation in Europe and international, but particularly in Europe, because we have at the same time nearly simultaneous increases in oil prices, gas prices, and electricity prices. Announcing a phase-out that would take uh, anywhere between 8 to 12 months could be an option. There are several, at least four countries in Europe, which are objecting to that because they are afraid of what would be the impact on prices. And with at least two of them, uh, there is a clear indication that they simply don't have the physical capacity of diversifying that quickly 
away from Russian crude. I'm referring particularly to Hungary and Slovakia, which may be actually exempted from such a blanket proposal for a boycott of Russian crude oil to European refineries. So before somebody takes such a decision, it has to be absolutely clear who is going to put the oil back and how this is going to play out in the international market that's going to be felt because the price of oil is global across all continents, not just in Europe. So the IAEA can play a significant role in that. But at the end of the day, the most significant role would be that of OPEC. And it's very important to see how OPEC states, especially the ones who have surplus production capacity, will eventually take a stand on whether to side with the US and the European Union or to continue to remain neutral, thereby indirectly facilitating Russia's efforts to try to diversify its own markets. Because especially in oil, as we're trying to diversify away from Russian oil, Russia is trying to find alternative markets in Asia where the political atmosphere with regards to what it's actually doing in, in Ukraine is somehow different from the one that we have in Europe and in the United States. So it's, it's a delicate process. We need to be very, very careful on how to do it, when to do it. And before we do it, we have to be very, very sure that we have secured alternative supplies for the long term. This launch comes less than a week after Russia's Gazprom stopped gas exports to Poland and Bulgaria. Are you worried that other EU members, including Greece, could face the same issue when payments are due later this month? Well, I hope not. What the Russians have done, both with Bulgaria and Poland, is not only immoral in a political sense of view, it's also illegal from a contractual point of view. They're breaking down their own contracts as suppliers. And when Bulgaria and Poland were going to take them to the International Arbitrary Court, in Stockholm and ask for payment and compensation for the economic damage that are currently being incurred as a result of the Russian embargo, they are going to win. It's part of the contractual structure of long-term contracts. But because of the fact that these long-term contracts are ending by the end of the year, and because of statements by both the Bulgarian and Polish government who said that we don't need these contracts and that we're not going to renew them after they are expiring, the Russian risk calculus was relatively limited in the sense that they thought that these markets were going to be lost to them anyway. Why don't we make an example of them so as to try to coerce the other Europeans to follow down our own example? And it was done in a very brute way, in a very unsophisticated way. And it will only be met by European Union solidarity in practice that Greece is already offering to Bulgaria and will continue to offer to the best of our technical ability. I think that, you know, a silver lining has to be found in order to make sure that the sanctions are honored, on the one hand, that continuation in euro payments or dollar payments are continued, because this is, if it's done unilaterally, it would be a breach of contract. And, of course, that the message is clearly sent to Russia that you cannot repeat what you did with Poland or Bulgaria, and that if a common position is hammered out along the silver lining I've just mentioned before, then you should immediately, immediately, regardless of what happened with anyone else, restart to honor your contracts with both Poland and Bulgaria. That would be a message of solidarity to both Poland and Bulgaria. At the same time, of course, expedite in whatever way possible, we try to facilitate additional sources of supply, particularly for Bulgaria, which is in a much more disadvantaged position with regards to Poland because of the lack of direct access to LNG. Dr. Takiris, thanks for joining us on The Greek Current. Great speaking with you. Thank you very much. 
In other news, Greece lifted COVID-19 restrictions on Sunday for foreign and domestic flights, its civil aviation authority said, ahead of the summer tourism season that officials hope will see revenues bounce back from the pandemic slump. The civil aviation authority said that from May 1st, passengers and crew will need only to wear a face mask. Previously, air travelers were required to show proof of vaccination, a negative test, or a recent recovery from the disease. Greece is expecting high numbers of visitors this year, with officials predicting revenues reaching 80% of 2019 levels. That was a record year before the pandemic brought travel to a halt. Finally, Cypriot Finance Minister Kostantinos Petridis on Monday pledged support for vulnerable groups in the face of growing inflation and rising costs as a result of the war in Ukraine. He conceded that the next few years would be difficult, not only for the Cypriot economy, but on a European level. Petridis said his ministry has and will continue trying to mitigate the consequences of these changes as much as possible, especially for the most vulnerable groups, adding that Cyprus was the only EU member state to adopt measures across the board. He stressed, however, that this is not something any country can deal with on its own. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.